Good morning, Woodland Hills. Uh, to you, the local congregation, to the non-local congregation, I don't know, but I, I think, you know, in the good old days, we used to give out righteousness points. Remember that? When people would brave the weather to come to service, and, and so I, I just think, you know, here we have, not only was it, you know, four or five inches of snow, uh, but we have a, this pandemic that we're kind of just coming out of, and, and so I'm awarding 100 righteousness points to everyone who made it to the service here this morning. Hallelujah. All right, that gets, you can squeak by on that. All right. Make it into the kingdom. Um, I, I want to, to start of this, just acknowledge this uh, incredible, incredible nightmare that's going on over in the Ukraine. And uh, I have a little update. Uh, last week we prayed for 12 different individuals that have a connection with Woodland Hills Church that are in the Ukraine. Um, and uh, uh, here's a little update from Olga. You remember Olga Sheshurbakova? Um for a few days, we didn't hear from her, and we were kind of worried, because that was during the shelling of, the, of Kiev. Uh, but she wrote Emily, uh, uh, Emily Morrison, who's on staff with us, and is a kind of our liaison with her. Uh, and she says this, I thank you all for your continued prayers. I believe that mountains are being moved. This is Olga now, uh, that we've been in contact with. Uh, mountains are being moved because of all the prayers of God's children. I didn't e- email in a few days because we decided that we need to try and take our girls into safety. So it took us four days, three nights, and many wonderful people and miracles, and I and my girls are now in Poland. My husband stayed in Ukraine. So did my mom and sister, brother, and many friends. Please pray for them. Many of them are in very dangerous, life-threatening situation. My heart hurts because of that. I don't know if my children will ever see their father again, if I will see my husband, my mom, or my friends. I feel numb at the moment and need some time to rest and pull myself together. Continuing to pray and believe God. Many blessings, Olga. So that's what you get from someone on the ground. And we've seen this, and I'm sure many of us on news, this the tragedy of just couples being separated, fathers and children being separated. It's, it's just heart, 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 heart-wrenching. Uh, Vadim Kalinchoko, uh, Kelly. Kellen Choco, I'm sure I'm butchering that name, but uh, this is the man that's in, in uh, heads up the One Legacy uh, Ministry, um, and they are have this ministry over in the Ukraine where they're they're uh, uh, making disciples, but they're now doing full time just refugee uh, care. Uh, as people are leaving the country, uh, they pass by their city and their location and their church. And so they're taking these folks in. It takes four or five nights sometimes to get to uh, where you're going, to get to the train stations. And so he tells me that uh, every night they've taken in the the families of of this community and into their church building, uh, anywhere from eight to 30 different families. Um, And they provide food and shelter and clothing and medicine and, and other things like that. And so he wanted to express, he says, tell your congregation, Profound thanks for uh, stepping up and contributing to his cause. And you can still do that if you want to uh, be helping out here. We're just doing our little part. You know, there's one and a half million refugees already, and they're saying they could get as high as four million before this is done. And it's, it's just a terrible situation. And, you know, someone mentioned about, you know, the, the discipline that I've encouraged us to be all involved in together, where we every day pray for our enemies. Pick out the people that are the hardest ones for you to pray for and the hardest ones for you to love and commit to praying for them. And I don't know about you, but uh, as of about 10 days ago, Putin got to the top of my list. Uh, so be praying for him and to be praying for him is to be praying that God change his heart and his mind and, and call off this needless 
senseless, nightmarish loss of life. So let, let's pray just for a moment for, for the folks in Ukraine. Lord, um, I pray for Putin. I don't know what's going on in his mind or in his heart. No one does. But Lord, I, I be working over time, the power of your spirit to influence him in the direction of peace away from war. Help him open his mind to see how this is not in anyone's best interest. Lord, we pray that we use whatever kingdom authority we have now to leverage it on the side of peace, to leverage it on the side of minimizing loss of life and minimizing the nightmare and minimizing the pain. And Lord, we pray, we use the authority that you've given to us in prayer to say, Lord, be bringing some redemptive value out of this. We already see how you're bringing some redemptive value in, in uniting NATO and, and having the nations align together. But Lord, be, be working over time here. And we pray for Olga specifically and for Fadim specifically and for all the other folks that are associated with Wilden Hills Church that you keep them safe, their families safe, the husbands safe, and bring an end, a speedy end to this, to this war. In Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen, amen, amen. amen. All right, keep them in prayer. Um, so we're starting a new series here called Treasures Hunters, and we're going to be talking about what our treasure is and how that is reflected in how we spend money and how we conduct life and how we spend our time and things like that. Um, so today, this is the first Sunday of Lent. So we're kicking off the series on the first Sunday of Lent. Lent, if you haven't been here the last couple of weeks, um, or haven't been tuning in the last couple of weeks, Lent is this ancient practice, goes back to the very earliest church, the, the early church, where Christians, for 40 days leading up to Easter, would fast from something. A fast is where you simply decide to say no to something that you usually say yes to. And it could be something that's bad for you, and you know you should give it up anyways. But it could be something that maybe is neutral, but it's, you like it a little too much. It's, it's too important to you, and so you got to rightly prioritize your life. So here's a period where you just say, I'm, I, I'm the boss, not you. Or it could just be something that you like, but you just want to flex your, your, your discipline muscle. And that's what Lent's all about. It's flexing a discipline muscle, because we got to get strong on that. Saying no to some things that we might, might otherwise like to say yes to. So we're in, the, this is the first Sunday. Now, Lent actually began last Wednesday. Um, and you may not have known that. You might have thought, as I actually did, that it starts this Sunday, today. But it started last Wednesday. And the reason you might not have known that is because I didn't mention it in the sermon uh, the week before, that it starts on, on Wednesday. And I normally would have known that it was happening, it starts the Wednesday uh, beforehand, because we usually have Ash Wednesday. And that launches, that, that launches Advent. But when we put together our church schedule back in January, we're in the middle of this Omicron virus, and we thought the last thing we need is to have a service where we get close proximity to one another, put ashes on your forehead, and pray for one another and whatever. So we, we decided we're not going to have an Ash Wednesday service, so therefore I wasn't reminded, and therefore I didn't remind you. But everyone around here, all the staff knows that I forget everything, which is why everybody knows that whoever's in charge of the service has the responsibility to remind me of exactly what I'm supposed to say before I get up on stage. And no one reminded me. So so you see, really, it's not my fault at all. I'm the victim here. It's Mary's fault. Mary's the one to blame. She bears all the shame. I say, blame the enabler. All right. All right. Well, however it happened, uh, if you missed that starting point last Wednesday, don't, don't despair. You can still jump on board with us now. There's 35 days of suffering left, and so there's plenty of time to join in. So I encourage you to enter into solidarity with this. We're joining with Christians, you know, 
at Wilton Hills Church, but also around the world. And that's, there's, there's a great value in doing that. So those of you who have been uh, uh, on this journey for five days and you are saying no to something you usually say yes to, how's that going for you? Awful. awful. I had her awful. I had her good. It's, you, guys, you guys know the term jonesing? Jonesing? All right. So you, 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 someone's jonesing when they're going through withdrawals. And it could be withdrawals from some drugs. It could be cocaine. It could be meth. Uh, opioids, heroin, benzies, crack, whatever. It could just be something that else that's addictive like caffeine or, or like, like, like alcohol uh, or, or, or nicotine or sugar. Try to get off of sugar, cold turkey, and you'll, you'll, go, you'll, you'll, you'll start jonesing. It's that craving. It's like an itch you can't scratch. There's only one thing that will satisfy it, and that's one thing you can't have. <laughs> it's kind of irritating. It can be things like activities or even objects. Like, here's a big one. Um, I, I, I read a study last year, or about two years ago now, I guess, where uh, they had these teens, and they had, had them go without their telephones for 10 days. And they, they, they said that for about 80% of them, they, they went through withdrawal symptoms that were very similar to what you go through when you're getting off of a drug. You can get addicted to that iPhone, and plenty of people are, I'm afraid. And they, uh, you get addicted to social media, or, or maybe it's ways that you medicate things in, in your life. You watch too much TV. Uh, yeah, you, you, you maybe uh, play crossword puzzles too much. You eat comfort food. You're addicted to masturbation, or you're watching sports all the time, or anything you can do to escape. And see, during Lent, when we say no to this thing, the role that it was playing in your life, it no longer plays, and you're going to miss it. If that was a, if that was an important thing to you, there's this kind of this. It doesn't feel right. It doesn't feel normal. It doesn't feel natural. It, it, it's kind of discomforting. So anyone else jonesing here this morning? Can I get an amen? Now, this is a church where we never give points for having it together, and we never take away points when you don't have it together. So it's a safe place to be. So is anyone else in this house jonesing? Amen. Okay, we got a couple people jonesing. See, if you're not jonesing, then you, i got to wonder if, if, if what you gave up was significant or not. Because it's, it's normal to be missing this. Now, I'm not going to tell you what I'm jonesing on. I don't even know if I'd even call it jonesing. It's more like just kind of a, a, a mild craving now and then. Uh, especially when I walk the dog, because I associate this with walking my dog. But I'm not going to tell you what it is I'm jonesing from. But I will say this. That if anyone lights up a cigar out in the church parking lot after this service, when you see me running the other direction, hollering, get thee behind me, Satan, thou foul demon of hell, don't take it personally. I, I'm just avoiding a temptation here, okay? I'm not going to tell you what that is. Well, you know, so, I, I, so I, this is how this thing works, right? I enjoy having a cigar when I go out and walk my dog. Uh, and, but it starts as like once a week. I'll treat myself. You know, it's a nice day, and so you treat yourself to a cigar. But then it becomes twice a week, you know, and why wait till, you know, Friday to have it? Let's have it Wednesday. So it's three times a week. And before you know it, you're associating walking dog with having a cigar to the point where if I don't have a cigar, it's not as enjoyable. And there's something wrong with that. And so I'm looking at this and saying, okay, look, this is too much money. My teeth are turning way too yellow. Uh, it, 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 I should be in control of it, and it not in control of me. So it makes it a perfect candidate to sacrifice during Lent. And I'm doing fine now, but I'll tell you, when I go out for a walk with my dog later on this afternoon, uh, there'll be part of me that's like, oh, I wish I could have that. So what I'm going to do to replace that habit, I'm going to put on some white strips, and I'm going to have, instead of walking for yellow teeth, I'm going to be walking for white teeth as a protest. How's that? All right, that's pretty smart. You got to, hey, you got to think of all the motivation you can get to get through this. So whatever it is you said no to, um, 
You probably, if it's something that you would say yes to on a daily basis, you're probably missing it. There's a hankering for it. And if you're not missing it, well then, as I said, you got to wonder, is this really a, was it a significant sacrifice? Because if, if, if you don't even, if it's not even worth missing. And see, that kind of defeats the point. Giving up something that doesn't mean anything to you really doesn't do much. Because when it comes to, to Lent, suffering is the point. Discomfort. Learning how to deny yourself. Stop pampering yourself. It, that is the point. You know, there ought to be some physical or emotional discomfort or even pain. This jonesing thing. Because Lent is supposed to pinch us. It's supposed to cost us something. That's how we grow. No pain, no gain. It really does apply to the spiritual realm. You can think of Lent as kind of this 40-day boot camp where we're getting ourselves in shape and, and, and flexing this disciplined muscle. And the beautiful thing is that, that during Lent, we, we, we don't do it alone. It's the solidarity piece that's so important. As I'm out there this afternoon walking with my whitening strips on my teeth, trying not to think about a cigar, I know that I'm not doing this alone, that there are other people who are suffering, far worse than I'm suffering, actually. But we do it in solidarity with others. And, and that builds us together as a body, and it strengthens each one of us individually. So... Uh, if, if you didn't know that it started last Wednesday because of Mary's, Mary's gross oversight and dereliction of duty, uh, uh, you can still get on board and, and suffer with us in these 35 days. We love you, Mary. All right. God bless. So I, I want to read from Matthew chapter 6. We're moving on from the Lord's Prayer now. And uh, turn to the next few passages, if I have them up here. Yes, here they are. So we'll read verses, uh, chapter 6, verses 16 through 21. Jesus says, Whenever you fast... Don't go around looking dismal like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces so as to show others that they are fasting. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face so that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust consume, and where thieves break in and steal. Instead, store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust consumes, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Lord, open up our minds and our hearts to receive this word deeply and to be changed by it. Notice, first of all, that Jesus says, when you fast. He doesn't say, if you fast. When you fast. He assumes that his followers are going to be fasting. And, and it's probably because part of Judaism was fasting was something that everybody did. Some once a week, some twice a week. But it was assumed to be part of what it means to walk with God. The, the need to flex your just say no muscle, to deny yourself something. To not be pampered all the time. That was a staple of Judaism. And, and, and so Jesus just takes that over. And he assumes that his disciples will be doing the same. When you fast, it'll be a regular practice. In fact, it's been a regular practice throughout church history. And it makes sense that it's a regular practice once you frame your life the way the New Testament frames it. According to the New Testament, we are soldiers in a battle. We are caught in this cosmic conflict. The earth is sort of the Normandy beach of, of this cosmic warfare. And, 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 and so we are in battle all the time against principalities and powers, against the evil one. We talked about this when we talked about the Our Father, deliver us from evil. There's a constant battle going on. 
And if you're going to be effective in any kind of war, you've got to be in shape. You've got to be in shape. One of the main ways that we do battle is by saying no to things that we'd rather say yes to. Resisting temptations that come our way. That's a muscle we've got to get used to flexing. And so it makes sense that you'd have, uh, as a regular practice, whether it's weekly, it's certainly annually, a time where you go through a boot camp and you strengthen yourself and you remind yourself of the kind of lifestyle that we're to be reminding of. And, and, and you don't let things control you. You get rightly prioritized. It makes sense when you understand that you're a soldier in war. We have a battle to do. Uh, Paul uses the analogy of getting in shape with, with an athlete. He says this in 1 Corinthians 9. He says, athletes exercise self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable one. So I do not run aimlessly, nor do I box as though beating the air. Rather, I punish my body and enslave it so that after proclaiming to others, I myself should not be disqualified. So Paul here is looking at these athletes who compete in these Olympic games. And he says they have to have such self-control to become the best at their sport. They sacrifice so much. They, 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 uh, they punish their bodies. They, they discipline them. They get them in top shape. And they do that all for, for an earthly prize, this wreath. And what Paul is saying is how much more should we be exercising control in all things? If people are that intentional just to win a race, a gold medal, and get a, some applause at the end of the day, if they're willing to do, give up all that just for that little temporary reward, how much more should we, who know that we're, we're, we're working for something that is imperishable, um, uh, how much more disciplined should we be? And I don't know about you, but that convicts the daylights out of me. <laughs> it just convicts the daylights out of me. When I consider how, even how I used to be so disciplined when it came to sports, if you're that disciplined about earthly sports, how could we be less disciplined when it comes to talking about an eternal reward? Now, I've got to confess something to you. Otherwise, I will be the worst hypocrite on the planet. Uh, and, and so what I have to confess is that I am preaching to myself so much right this moment, you have no idea. I am preaching to myself. Uh, as I've shared before, and I'm not going to belabor this point, but the last four years have not been my best. Um, in some ways, they've been best. I mean, I, I've never enjoyed church more or preaching more and whatever, but personally... It's, it's been a rough haul for all of us the last couple of years, but my discipline's gone down the tubes. And it started when I, I used to be so disciplined, running marathons, ultra marathons, working all the time, had a resting pulse rate of 37. Yeah, 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 okay. So then the last four years, my body's been going to pieces, and, and, and every time I try to you know, exercise or compete, something breaks and falls apart. And finally, I got to the point where I said, and I don't know how to phrase this very well, but I just said, screw it, you just give up. You want to save your body. You want to turn to butter, turn to butter. Let gravity win, see if I care. But see, you can't let go of discipline in one area of your life and not have it affect all the other areas of your life as well. It's like there's a mindset we need to have, and, and, and if, when we indulge ourselves too much in any area, we start to lose that eye of the tiger, that, 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 that hunger, that, that, that sense of discipline. And so I, I found that discipline in general is, is just kind of fallen by the wayside with me. Now, you know, I, there's a lot of things I do just habitually because I've done it for decades and decades. And so I just, it's normal for me to be, when I'm driving, to be talking to God. I talk to God throughout the day. I think that's a good thing to do. And, and when I see people, I collapse whatever judgments come to my mind, and I ascribe unsurpassed the worth, worth to them. And I encourage all of us to be cultivating that mindset, so it's a kind of a habit. And so I still do that. And I still want to remain aware of God's presence, whatever, but I haven't fasted for years. 
I used to fast every Wednesday. For years, that was my, every Wednesday was a day of fasting. This is what you do. Um, and somehow it, it dropped by the wayside, and I've just gotten slothful. I've gotten lazy, and I haven't done this. And it actually wasn't until um, some person in our, in our, our arts uh, ministry had this idea of, like, we should really, like, maybe practice Lent. And they proposed, like, how about if we all went through Lent? And we started to think about that, and as I thought about that, that's when I... I woke up to just how backslidden I am, <laughs> how, how much I let go. It took us taking Lent seriously for me to take fasting seriously once again. And, and so I'm seeing this Lent is kind of a new beginning. If it seems like I'm kind of weirdly passionate about it, I think this is why. I, I see this kind of a, a, a new start. You know, back in my Pentecostal days, we used to have these revivals. Then you come from a tradition where you had revivals. You know, and you had these tent meetings that go every night for a week, and you go to midnight, and hallelujah, and everyone gets the Holy Ghost, and you run aisles, and, you know, and a lot of it was just kind of emotional nutsness, but, but on the other hand, we do need reviving now and then. Yeah. It's so easy to start coasting, isn't it? You just start coasting. You forget that there's a battle. You forget, and you just kind of like absorb the American culture all around us, and, and, and you, know, you just kind of go on. And sometimes we need a kick in the butt. The Holy Ghost kick in the butt. What do you say, sister? Holy Ghost kick in. We need reviving. And uh, yeah, we'd be praying for revival, personal revival and revival as a church to get fired up about this because we, we forget, we start to coast. And so I'm, I'm seeing this land as kind of this, this, this time of new beginning. It's all the more important, folks, uh, if you're part of Western culture where our whole culture is the opposite of this disciplined mindset. The, the message of, of, of Western culture is basically you have a right to whatever you want and when you want it and how you want it. You know, it, it's a culture that we, we pamper ourselves. We get really soft. And, and you know, I get, look, think about how life was back in the Middle Ages. You realize how soft we've got it. All the comforts we have that others didn't have. Uh, and so it's easy for us to lose that, 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 that disciplined muscle. If you don't use it, you lose it, Right? And, and if we're not exercising that on a regular basis, we, we forget about it. And now we're, we're not being conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. Now we're not being disciplined at all. Uh, this is the time for us to get back in shape. What do you say? Time to get back in shape. So Jesus assumes, amen, time to get back in shape, like athletes. So he assumes that we're going to be regularly fasting. And I'm committing to getting back to that. But we're not to fast like the hypocrites do. Uh, we're not to fast with any concern that anyone notices our religiosity. Because if, if we do this because we want someone to notice how holy we are, how, how righteous we are, you know, how, oh, look, he's fasting, oh, that's great. Uh, well, that, that's your reward. Jesus says, if, if that's your motive, well, then that's your reward. Because that's your treasure. What you really treasure is the acc accolades of people. Uh, who look up to you because you're making such a great sacrifice. Oh, I, for let I gave up cigars. And there's three guys out there listening around now that says, dude, I feel you. Oh, man, I, I couldn't do that. But everyone else is like, what's the big deal? But you like, just like how, how you're suffering and you just kind of go over with it. Or, or if I were to say, well, you know, actually, I gave up more than just cigars. But I'm not going to tell you because it's a secret. But it was really huge. Yeah, yeah, okay, so I, I, you're working it. And so, see, we have to understand that in the ancient Jewish world, people really looked up to holy men, people who were fasting and that kind of stuff. They, they admired that. That was just a value of theirs. 
And, and, and so, so they, 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 these folks did it to put that on display. It'd be a little bit like today if, if you're going to some marketplace or out and about in the summertime and, and, and some young buff kid decides to take off his shirt and walk around without, you know, bare chested. Why is he doing that? Well, uh, maybe he's just hot, but it could be that he wants people to notice how ripped he is. Now he's got a six pack, you know, and, 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 and people, some people would admire that. Like, whoa, that guy's really ripped. What's well, the same thing here? Well, that guy's really fasting. You know, that guy's really, you know, kind of putting it on there. That was really a value that they had. But Jesus says if you do it for the applause, then the applause is your reward. And the worst part of getting a reward now is it means that you're not storing up a reward later on. You're forfeiting that. The only way to fast and the only way to pray and the only way to live in a way that is storing up a reward in the future is to do it in secret. Which means you go out of your way to not get rewarded here and now. Go out of your way so people don't notice what you're sacrificing or don't notice the good deed that you're doing. Some have called this the, the, the discipline of secrecy. And it grows your character. You do it for one motive only. It's a question of motive at the end of the day. What motivates you? Really, what, what motivates you? And if you're motivated by the reward here and now, well, then you get the reward. And you have it for a moment, and then it's gone. But if you want to be rather playing the long game and thinking about your future, then don't let anyone know what's going on. Put oil on your head and wash your face so they don't know how hungry you are and, and, and how, how much you're sacrificing. Because then you'll be rewarded by your father who, who, who is in secret. In secret means it's away from public view. Uh, and, and, and so there's, there's no, no one's noticing. It's between you and the father. The secret relationship that you have. See, and in my understanding, the reward that we're getting is simply the character that we're developing by practicing the discipline of secrecy. Uh, spending time in secret with Abba Father transforms our character. Uh, it moves us more in the image of Jesus Christ. It, it empowers us to say no to things we otherwise might say yes to. I think the reward is just the beauty of the character that you're developing when you learn how to be singularly motivated by doing God's will without any, any ulterior motives for people noticing or anything of the sort. That is your reward, that capacity. And if you think about it, what could be more important than that? Your capacity to experience God's love and God's joy and God's peace is, is, is greater because you've spent time with Abba Father in secret and you've gone through the disciplines and, and you, you've, 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 you've learned how to, to crucify that, the fallen self of yours. Uh, you, you've learned the way of, of, of Jesus and, and that is your reward. And see, that is the true treasure that we're supposed to be aspiring towards. The treasure of the beauty of God and, and our opportunity to take on his likeness. Uh, the thing that we really hunger for is the love and the joy and the peace of God that comes to us in the person of Jesus Christ. Um, we go after a lot of other things. The world offers us fame and fortune and power and all goods and trinkets and comfort and convenience and all the rest. And we think, oh, that's what we want. But really, that stuff never satisfies. The only thing that really satisfies is when you, I find, when you drink from the infinite well of God's love, joy, and peace. That's what we're really hungry for. Hungry for. So Jesus is trying to help us get in touch with our true treasure. And, and to see the beauty of that. And see, while the treasures that the world offers you, the claim, the applause, the fame, the comfort, well, all the rest, it's here today and gone tomorrow. A moth can take it and eat it up. Rust can corrode it. Thieves can steal it. Your aging will take it away from you. And if it, your aging doesn't, death will. Eventually, you let go of all of it. 
But praise God, the jewel of Jesus Christ, the, the treasure of the universe, when we found him, we find something that the moth can't touch and the rust can't corrode and thieves can't steal it and aging can't steal it and senility can't steal it and poverty can't steal it and world wars can't steal it. Nothing can steal it. It's hallelujah. It's locked in the vault of heaven. And Jesus says, live with, for that with that treasure in mind. Aspire towards that. The good that we all at the core of our being hunger for. Father doesn't reward us like saying, oh, you're a good boy, here's a cookie. Uh, no, it's, it's rather, the reward is the natural consequence of going down this path. It's just like God's judgment is the natural consequence of going down a, 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 a path of revolt, a path of rebellion, a, a path of self-lordship. It leads to self-destruction. God doesn't have to impose something on you for you to be punished. You punish yourself. The same thing is true in the opposite direction. When we cultivate this character, spending time in secrecy with Abba Father, engaging in the disciplines, we're the bride who's getting herself ready, uh, dressed and adorned with the deeds of righteousness, it says in, in Revelation 19, so that we're compatible with our groom when he returns. There could be no greater prize, and that's the thing that we want. The, the whole purpose of this probational epic that we're in, this pre-heaven epic that we're in, is to, for the bride to get herself ready. For our, our characters to get aligned with the truth of who we are in Christ. What's going on here is that God is giving us all a shower. That's what sanctification is. So we wash off the mud to expose the jewel that we actually are. The jewel that he's made us on Calvary. We're catching up to the truth of what God's done for us on Calvary. But there's a role we play in that. We've got to be taking a shower. And we take a shower when we say no to things we usually say yes to. Involved in the disciplines and, and, and spend time in secrecy with Father. So it, 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 it brings these two personal questions for us to ask ourselves. Two, two personal questions. Number one, how is that secret relationship with Abba Father going? Because here's another area where you can have it one day and then it kind of atrophies. And before you know it, you're, you know, just sort of th you think about God now and then. But do you have that special secret relationship? There's a place in our relation with God where it ought to be just you and God. Now, we stress the communal part of, of our faith a lot, and that's important. Uh, we're part of the corporate body of Christ. But being part of the corporate body of Christ means that each of us individually also has this, this personal relationship with Abba Father. And... Um, uh, it ought to feel like it's one of a kind, sui generis. It's you and Abba Father as though you were the only one that he ever created because he loves you just as much as if you were the only one he ever created. His love doesn't get diluted because of the multiplicity of people that he loves. His love's infinite, and so you, you, you can't divide up infinity. All of his love is towards you, but it will do your soul so much good to experience that. And, and so how is that going, that secret relationship that you have with Abba Father? There should be set-apart times that we have where you just, here's where I spend time in secret with Abba Father. Um, we need communal times, and we need times with our families and all the rest, but there ought to be a place for you to get together with your creator, and you have this secret relationship. This, so have set-apart times where you do this, but also... To have it in secret means that you're just out of public view, and you can have a relationship with God all day long that's out of public view. You don't put it on display because you don't want to get that reward because that would take away your, your heavenly reward. But throughout the day, I encourage you to talk to God. Make him a conversational partner. Jesus is with you. Your best friend who loves you more than you love yourself, he's with you at all times. Talk with him. And not just talk, but then listen. 
And um, the whole goal of this, folks, is to, we don't, we don't want to have compartmentalized life where we, we, we go to church and we do kingdom and then the rest of our life is secular. Or we do church and then we have 10 minutes a day that's religious but the rest is secular. The goal is to completely end all compartmentalization, to introduce the kingdom into every nook and cranny of our life, every moment of our life, to make that part of our new normal. But what's real, what you know is real, which most people don't, but what you know is that God is here right now. He's always with us, and he always wants a relationship with us. And so making him part of our everyday life, including him on decisions, uh, I encourage you to be doing that. That's what it means to be uh, cultivating a secret relationship with God. All the more important because we live in a culture that pushes us in the opposite direction. Makes us think that live as though God did not exist, and live as though the only rewards that we have to pursue are the ones that are right here and right now. The applause and the acclaim and all the rest. So, how are you doing with that secret relationship? And then number two, and this one's a little harder to discern, but it's always good for us to sometimes stop and say, and ask the question, as honestly as we can, what really motivates us? What really motivates us? What, what, what really drives you? What's, what's the joy that you have that gets you out of bed in the morning? Where is your treasure? Um, what reward are you really pursuing? And the, the, the right answer to all these questions is Jesus. We know the right answer. What's the treasure of your life? To love you know, with all your heart, all your mind, all your body, all your strength, all your soul. The right answer is Jesus. Right. But is that a reality? Is that the reality? It's good for us to step back and, and, and say, Lord, show me what is real here. Show me what is real here. In fact, as I was uh, preparing this message, I was planning on going on... Uh, not talking about the hypocrites. I was just going to go on to the next three verses, which is what I'm supposed to be preaching on. But I'll get to that in the weeks to come, I assume. But uh, I just want the Holy Spirit saying, whoa, hang on. Kind of like Nathan going to David, King David saying, you are the man. Uh, they'll say, don't, don't. When I first read that passage, and I bet this happened with you too, when you hear the word hypocrite, don't be like the hypocrites. You're thinking, oh, other people. And the Holy Spirit says, well, let's not be so quick with that one here. Let's, let's hover on this a little bit. The fact that Jesus tells us not to be like hypocrites is enough to show that we can become hypocrites. Otherwise, he wouldn't need to warn us. And when you become a hypocrite, you don't realize you're doing that. You just kind of evolve into it. And so it's possible to be a hypocrite and not know it. So it makes sense for us once in a while to ask the question, are we hypocrites? To be a hypocrite, the, the word actually it originates from ancient Greece. And it actually meant an actor on a stage. Literally, it meant one who speaks behind a mask. Because they always wore masks in, 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 in plays back in ancient, in ancient Greece. So it's one who, one who plays a role or wears a mask to get an applause. Which is totally appropriate when you're on a stage. But it can be applied to people who do that in life. They take on a persona. Play a role that it's not really them. But they're doing it for some, some social coinage. Uh, some, some recognition. There's some props that they're trying to get. They're hypocrite. They're it creates a gulf between who you really are and how you present. There's a gulf between the two. Being a hypocrite always involves two things, performing and hiding. You perform because you're going after the reward. The reward is the social applause, all the rest. They claim. But to do that, you've got to hide part of yourself. So, like, if I think you guys are into funny and you want funny, well, then I'll crank out funny. And that will give me the applause. Oh, I really feel good because I'm funny. But i got to hide from you all the things that aren't very funny about me. 
And if holiness is your stick, well, then I'll try to put out holiness. I've never been very good at that one, but I'll try. Crank it out there. Glory to God. Hallelujah. But that means I've got to hide all the sin, all the stuff that doesn't align with that. Whatever doesn't agree with my strategy for getting this idolatrous life that I'm trying to get from you, I've got to hide. And that's what creates sickness. But see, the easiest thing in the world is for us to play roles that aren't really us, but we do it to get this, 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 this acclaim, this applause or recognition or whatever it is. And then we forget that that's what we're doing, right? Because part of our autopilot, this is who, who we are. And we can even convince ourselves that what we're doing, we're doing for godly purposes. Hallelujah, for godly purposes. But there can be, can be the case that really we're out of the corner of our eye. We're looking, who, who notices this? You know, am I going to get some credit for this? It's hard for us to get honest with ourselves. The psalmist says this. He says, search me, O God. This is a prayer that we all should be praying. And know my heart, test me, and know my thoughts. He's saying, cut me open. Reveal to me what is true. Reveal to me what is absolutely true. Now, when I do this, I, it really helps me to remind myself that the Lord that I'm asking to open me up and show me who I am is on my side. 100% loves me. His love for me does not go up and down based on, on, on how good I am or how bad I am. It's, his love is unconditional. It's Calvary-like. And I remind myself of that because that means it's safe for me to be honest with myself. Which, if you think about it, you know, since God knows it anyways, it's like, how could I not hold, offer it to him? He knows it anyways. But it's, it's, it's like, as long as I don't acknowledge it, it maybe doesn't exist. But we need to acknowledge it because if we don't acknowledge it, we can never be healed from it. We can never be freed from it. And so say, search my heart, oh God. Reveal what's there. What, what really motivates me? Where is the incongruity between the, the self that I present and the self who I truly am? How much of the real me gets concealed to hold up the prop version of me? Think about that. And when I am honest with myself and, and the Holy Spirit shines the light on it, I realize that I'm not nearly as singularly motivated as I would like to think. What really motivates you? Where is your treasure? How important is it for you to, to get credit, to be noticed? Do you get irritated when someone else gets the credit for what you do? What, what is it that makes your life worth living? What is your treasure, really? I, I have to be honest here, you know, and, and, and I'm glad I'm part of a community where we don't, we don't give points for having it together and we don't take points away for not having it together. Because I'll tell you, uh, I don't love the, the Lord my God with all my heart, all my soul, all my being, all my mind, all my strength all the time. I don't. He's deserving of that. That's what I ought to be doing, but I don't. I, gotta, I have to look at that. I've got to be honest about that. In fact, I think anytime we are honest with who we really are and we're introspective and we let the Holy Spirit reveal the truth about us, that's where you realize that you are the worst of sinners and you are in desperate need of God's grace. And that's a good position to be in because now you won't judge other people uh, and you'll be free from being self-righteous. It's good to be in that position. Um, but, But see, as you're in that position, as the worst of sinners, it's all important that here you trust God's character and you let God love you in that position. How do you get free from hypocrisy? How can I learn to love God more? What we usually do is simply say, we turn into a behavioral thing. Try harder. Come on, if you're a real Christian, you ought to be loving God with all your mind, heart, body, soul, and strength all the time. What's wrong with you? Get with the program, Greg. You see, you can shame people like that. You ought to be loving your enemies. You ought to be loving better. Come on. But see, we, we, you can try hard to, on some things and accomplish some things. 
But you can't fundamentally change who you are by trying hard. We, we can't transform ourselves. If we could, we wouldn't need Jesus. But see, here's what we call it to God. And we say, God, uh, help me to experience your love as I am. What do you do if you discover you're a hypocrite? And I can almost assure you, to some degree, you are. Well, this isn't the only thing to be said, but it's the only thing I'm going to say now because it's the first thing and the most important thing, and that is know that God loves you in your hypocrisy. Let God love on you in your hypocrisy. God, he always stoops to meet us exactly where we're at. And by letting him love us where we're at, that's how he transforms us into something different. But the love's got to come first. We don't transform ourselves to get his love. We receive his love up front, and that's what transforms us into something different. Amen? Amen. That order is all important. So whatever vile thing you find in yourself, and be honest with it. We all have a PR department public relations department, that mainly talks to ourselves and justifies to ourselves the things that we're doing to make ourselves feel good. C.S. Lewis talks about this. Uh, he says, pride, this is so pernicious, pride, because he's coming back, coming, walking home from a party and all of a sudden he realizes he's congratulating himself for how clever he was that night. Yeah, we, we do that all the time. That's fine, but there's got to be time where we get honest and look at things, and that's when we say, God, here's who I really am. There's a tremendous gap between my reality and how I present, but you love me in the midst of this, and that's what frees me and transforms me to be something different, praise God. Willpower can't do it. We've got to be compelled by the love of Christ, Paul says. Uh, 2 Corinthians 5. The love of Christ always is the thing that compels us. So I entitled this message, Beloved Hypocrite. <laughs> because when you discover that you're a hypocrite, First thing you got to know is that you're a beloved hypocrite. And let God love you in the midst of your hypocrisy or whatever the particular sin that, that you have. And, 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 and he begins to show you who you truly are. He begins to wash away all the mud that covers up the precious jewel that you are. And now you're heading in the right direction. Let him love you as you are to become all that uh, he knows you can be. So I want to end with a corporate prayer. Uh, this is the third week in a row. I'm not saying we're going to always do this. But I've just become aware of how especially in this kind of new reality that we find ourselves in, hybrid church, local congregation, non-local congregation, the more things we can do together, like fasting and praying together, the more it will solidify us. Because the, well, you can't have physical proximity when you're talking to a congregation that's around the globe, but you can't have spiritual proximity. And we do that by sharing practices. We are the people who... And there ought to be a sense of like, identity to this. We are the people who pray together. We are the people who fast together. We are the people who have learned to suffer together. We're the people who are learning to love together. We're the people who are learning to pray for our enemies together. These are all practices we share. And they're, they're not usual. I, I, they're beautiful because they're not usual. I'm glad that we're part of a community that does this. So if, you, if you're able, uh, would you stand? And I would like us to pray this prayer together, our, our, our closing prayer. And even non-local congregation, it, as an act of solidarity in, 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 in uh, league with all the rest of us, if you're able, would you stand? And pray this out loud, even if you're alone in your house or in your car or whatever. Oh no, if you're in your, in your car, don't pray this because you'd have to look at the prayer. So I'd pull over and pray this with us. But uh, if you're able to pray it out loud, do this. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, thank you for loving us as we are for patiently transforming us into the people you know that we can become. As your called out people whom you've empowered by your spirit, we commit to always choose the path of integrity and congruity over the path of hypocrisy and the path of secret piety over the path of public acclaim.
as your redeemed people who are being transformed by your love. We aspire to always choose the path of costly discipleship over the path of easy indulgence and the path of self-sacrificial love over the path of convenience. Pray with conviction. And as your ambassadors who are called to reflect your humble character, we aspire to always choose the path of peace over the path of violence and the path of mercy and kindness over the path of vengeance and cruelty. May God's love flow through us and be sensed by everyone we encounter in this upcoming week. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Go out and love on the world and pray for Ukraine. Amen. Oh, yes, we got to say, I, I forgot the announcements. Uh, uh, we've got prayer available uh, uh, online and in the house. So if there's anything that you can use prayer for, please take advantage of that. Tuesdays, we got the Musecast. Don't forget about that. We've got gathering groups throughout the week. And if you're going to be here next week in attendance, please let us know if you have children so we have enough workers to take care of those kids. God bless you guys and drive safe. <laughs>